This is episode 147 on the Herpreneur Show. Today we have the CEO of Twisted Healthy Treats, Cass Spees. Welcome to the Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Firstly, Happy New Year. How great does the energy feel in 2023? Are you fired up? Are you ready? Don't you just love this new brilliant energy? This is the power of the feminine these days. We have so many ideas flowing and we are owning it and we are here to support you in 2023 with the Herpreneur Show and I couldn't think of anyone better to start the year off with this incredible female entrepreneur who has built such a solid business and has such a great story. You are going to hear from the CEO of Twisted Healthy Treats, Cass Spees, I tell you what, this just shows you what is possible. This shows you what grit, hard work, effort does, what putting the money back into the business does with always dreaming big, with always having your eye on the prize and being unapologetically and just truly owning your goals. I love when I ask Cass at the end of this interview, what are one of the biggest dreams that she has? And she drops the bomb and I had goosebumps all over my body. And I cannot wait to get her on when that goal comes true. And I tell you what, it won't be that far away because she is dominating the ice cream industry, the healthy treat industry, the cold dessert industry with no sugar or low sugar. This is such a great story. Just a little bit more about Twisted Healthy Treats. You would have seen it in Coles, in all your supermarkets around Australia. They're in 2,000 supermarkets nationally. They're in 5,000 school canteens across Australia and New Zealand. It is an amazing brand and it is trusted by the family, right? This is what you want. You want your kids to eat the good stuff, not the crap. You know, sometimes you just feel guilty, right? Just giving your kid just one of those zuper dupers that you just know they're just full of S-I-H-I-T. Um, <laughs> don't even spell that right. <laughs> I'm whispering in case you've got kids listening. But you know they're just full of crap. They're full of bad, bad, bad colouring that you probably don't even realise if you're untrained with ingredients that it has the kids going hyperactive, it has them bouncing off the wall, then they have a high glucose drop and they just, you know, go from a high to a low. And this is what Cass and Twisted Healthy Treats have done. She has built an incredible team. She produces it. They have their own manufacturing facility. Enjoy today's interview. They are becoming Australia's best healthy favourite treat manufacturer. Let me introduce you to the CEO of Twisted Healthy Treats, Cass Spees. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Now, I love to start the show. Where in this beautiful world of Australia are you actually sitting in right now? In Sydney, sunny Sydney, in our factory, actually, in uh, Western Sydney, our brand new facility that we set up at the beginning of the year. So it's one of my favourite places to be. Where, whereabouts is your factory? In Ingleburn. Ah, yes. Yeah, okay. so Sydney, Western Suburbs, yeah. Yeah. Ah, cool. I actually used to be a Sydney girl and I was actually a Westie Westie. I was from the Blue Mountains, so. Right. <laughs> A little bit further west. west than us. 
So let's dive into your business because boy, oh boy, we're, we're going to go places today. I just know that you have incredible experiences to share about your growth. You studied a Bachelor of Science, majoring in food technology. What did that teach you and, and why did you want to do that? Like, had you always dreamed about doing fast-moving consumable goods? Were you, were you ever thinking about that space? Let's just talk about where your mindset was back then. Back in the day when I actually did my degree, I thought I'd probably exist somewhere in that sort of quality control um, arena within different um, within different food companies, food organisations. Uh, but what sort of transpired very early on in my career is that I moved over to the UK and in the UK, the food industry doesn't pay very much money. And so I swiftly moved from wanting to work in the food industry to working in the banking and finance space as a project manager, which is where I think, you know, later in life, as I sort of came around to starting the business, I really sort of married my love of food and what I'd learned at university with my sort of practical experience uh-huh. around project management. So I yeah. guess that's really where how I ended up um, where I am today. Yeah. So let's talk about that. How did the idea start? Was it you having kids and walking into the supermarket <laughs> and going, that's just crap food? How can they call it food? <laughs> or is it something uh- else? <laughs> No, I mean, look, I was looking for a healthy alternative to share with the kids. I had really young children. I've always, I grew up in a house that loved ice cream. My father loves ice cream. And so we were always enjoying a sweet treat together. And I guess it's some of my fonder memories of a child as a child sort of growing up, enjoying that and sharing that with my dad. But to be completely frank, the original idea for the business was very much around a retail concept. So less around a wholesale FMCG product and more around rolling out a network of franchise QSR restaurants across the country that served frozen yogurt and smoothies. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then what happened from there? So did you start to build it out and realise that it was not what you're wanting to? Hard basket? Tell us the story. Um, I think, I mean, we we spent the first, so the, I've had the business for just over 12 years and I think the probably the first six years of the business was all around opening and closing stores. And what we realised very quickly was that, A, it is incredibly hard to make money in retail. So and you actually launched the stores? We did, yeah. We had five wow. company owned stores at one stage. Mm-hmm. Basically, we had a portfolio of stores where some stores were making some money and some stores were losing a lot of money. And we very quickly realised that our ability to market and sell the concept on as a franchise was not possible because we just couldn't work out how we could make enough money you know all mm-hmm. the money all the yeah. turnover was going to rent all the you know by the time we paid staff electricity product and rent there wasn't very much left over mm. and in some cases there wasn't any left over at all we were in the negative so um but but I think you know from that time what we realized was that people like to take our product and enjoy it in the comfort of their own home and we started a very very small wholesale operation in the back of one of our stores and that's really how the you know, the journey into FMCG came about. Fascinating. <laughs> how how many years were you into the business at that stage with the retail side of it? What are we talking here? We're talking six years. Six, six yeah, years. six long, hard years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, was- I mean, I say long, hard because, you know, it was if I was to reflect personally on the journey in those initial years, it was really a um, soul-destroying experience because I had this incredible team around me 
we had an incredible concept. We had, you know, people really working their heart out for the brand and it didn't matter what we did in those stores, uh, you know, whatever changes we were making, whatever sort of um, innovation we were bringing to those locations, it wasn't really moving the needle enough to maintain a set of retail locations. Mm. So I think, wow. you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how to get back up when you've been knocked down. I learned about how incredibly important team the team around you is. But I also think I learned that in a small business, um, and at that stage we were tiny, it's really important to be incredibly nimble. And, and the market was telling us that this was not the right direction. And yet when we started to sell our, our tubs in, in sort of high-end grocers, the product was sort of walking off the shelf. So I yeah, think wow. the ability to be nimble is something that I've really, we are still very nimble today. Mm. Let's talk about that wholesale experience. So you started to do a bit of wholesale at the back of one of the the shops you were saying. Let's go into that part when there was that transition, the transition to go, hey, this is where we need to be. Can you talk about that process that you went through? Sure. So we sort of made the conscious decision that it was time to get out of the stores and we took what I would say was a a real leap of faith and we moved into a small factory. So we were previously Ah. making some product in the back of one of the stores, a food authority approved sort of tiny, tiny Mm -hmm. processing space. And we moved into a factory, a small factory in Alexandria. And I guess it was it was a leap of faith. We had a small amount of ranging in some Woolworth stores. And when I say small, I'm talking about 30 stores, really small amount of stores. Mm-hmm. We had product going into, you know, beautiful brands like Harris Farm here in New South Wales. And we had just started to supply school canteens, which is which was sort of a, a, a real turning point. For the business. So, at you know, when we first moved to that factory, we really only had to run the manufacturing for maybe a day and a half to be able mm-hmm. to meet our orders. So it was a huge, it was another huge risk, I'd say. I mean, it was a calculated risk, but it was still a risk. It was a, it was another huge risk because we didn't open the factory with enough volume to be able to maintain that manufacturing five days a week. Yeah, to be able so, to service everyone. Mm-hmm. Correct. So I guess from there, it was really just about me going out and selling product and sort of, I mean, it's not just that. It's been a culmination of so yeah. much more than that. But. <laughs> well, let's start with that because I I do have here, you know, what came first? Was it the school canteens? Was it getting into the supermarkets? You've mentioned both. Which one was actually the first one where you thought this is where we're going to go first into? Because I can imagine the women are listening here and some of them, one of their dreams is to be able to say, we have Coles or Woolies as a client. And then we've got other ones that are wanting to get into the schooling system. And let's just say that that's not easy to get into either. So I'd love to know what came first and what was the bit of the the sales process that you went through to be able to negotiate your way in? Small ranging in Woolworths came first, but it was very quickly followed by school canteens. And as I say, that was a real turning point for the business because what that allowed us to do was um, reach thousands of families each and every week. It really helped with our brand recognition it was, it was essentially a mass sampling campaign because kids mm. were eating our product for lunch and then they would see at you know, in the supermarket and then, that, you know, that would sort of bring, bring together and 
and result in a sale and, and, you know, a family putting it in their basket. But the time and, and years of effort that we've put into developing our relationship with Coles and Woolworths has been a lot. And I'd say probably now sort of six, seven years into those relationships, mm. it's really starting to come to fruition. But, you know, be careful what you wish for because they, um, it, it's hard work dealing with the majors. Mm. So let's talk about your manufacturer because it's quite funny because when you say, you know, we only started with 30 stores, like my eyes are like, oh, my gosh, that would be someone's first dream. <laughs> I remember having Carmen's on. Do you remember Carmen's with yeah. the, the muesli um, bars? And she was saying when she first got um, coals on, I think it was 15 of them or maybe it was 30. It was a small amount apparently. <laughs> But, you know, for anyone that's never done it before, it's, you know, we'll take any, we'll take one. Absolutely. Um, She was saying when she first started with Coles as the client, she was actually going into the dock herself with the car. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I've been known to be, you know, appearing in freezer rooms in the back of Woolworths and Coles supermarkets as well. Yeah. I mean, you you need to, you do what you've got to do, right, to really make sure that you you get that growth and you get that volume what was your first step to get into Coles and Woolworths like it was the one piece of information you could give the women listening and they're like I've got this great protein powdered pancake mix how do I get it into Coles right so look I would say just reach out to the buyer find out who the buyer is have a compelling reason as to why they should talk to you And really, I mean, they're just people just like us. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to sell product just like you do. And if you believe that there's a real white space in their um, ranging, you know, my advice would be to reach out. And I also, my advice would also to be reach out to, would be to reach out directly. When you are a startup in the FMCG space, you can't afford a broker. I have Mm -hmm. also been through that process and it's a soul-destroying experience to go through a summer period. I mean, we're an ice cream, we're dessert, frozen dessert, so summer is our peak, but it's a, it's, a, it's a soul-destroying experience to go through your peak period and all of your hard work has been nibbled away at the edges by all these other people that are trying to sort of ride on your hard work and your, your success. Mm. And so what my, you know, at that point, particularly at that point, you should be owning the relationship with these supermarkets. You don't need a broker. You know your story and you believe in your product better than anybody else. Um, and you're going to fight. You're going to fight. Great advice. Don't do it. I have done it and it's it is a soul-destroying experience. Yeah. Wow. How good is that, ladies? Like, how good is that? It's own it because you will speak from a different place. No one will represent that energy that you have or the passion. So I don't. Yeah, that's such great advice. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's talk about the the manufacturing. You established your own manufacturing facility. What are the benefits? actually manufacturing in-house and not actually outsourcing it to another large manufacturer? Um, I mean, the main benefits are the price that we can, that we can bring our product to market for because we don't have somebody else's margin built into that product price. So, you know, a lot of the niche players in the, in the Australian um, supermarket space at the moment are using contract manufacturers and their products are 3 and $4 more expensive than ours. Mm. And that is purely, that is not down to the quality of the product. That's not down to the quality of the ingredients that they're using. Wow, that's that so is simply down to the fact that they are having to pay someone else's margin along the way. 
Yeah. And, you know, one of the values of Twisted is for us to be able, we believe that all Australian consumers, actually globally, consumers should be able to purchase better few products at affordable prices. Mm. They should be able to put a, a, a better few product in their supermarket trolley every single week. It shouldn't be a treat. It shouldn't be a special occasion that you have a sugar-free ice cream. It should be something that you would, you know, if if you know, if we can create a product without sugar that tastes as good, if not better, why wouldn't you buy that product Mm. if it's an affordable product? And so I think, you know, whilst there are trials and tribulations with having your own manufacturing plant, I think the benefits, you know, really outweigh any sort of issues that we have with machinery on a daily basis, because that really, you know, we're able to deliver value to our consumers. And that's a really important thing for us. That's just so interesting, especially when you're just saying the the markup because you go into business not to break even, you go into business to, to make profit and you learned that very fast or in a very painful six years that there was no profit there. Yeah. So then you change to a model where you are manufacturing yourself, you've got wholesaling, you're now going into the largest chains in Australia and we will talk about the international side of things as well now, but talking about that, the, the profit. And it's just so interesting that you could see something subconsciously, you might think that's more expensive because it's a better quality. But like you're saying, it's just so yeah. both touch points are making money. Oh, interesting stuff. <laughs> interesting stuff. People nibbling away at all your good work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Let's talk about you're now in USA, in China. Congratulations. Thank you. What was that process? How did that happen? Did it start through a contact? Was it now you were like, we have got the goods, we are ready to expand? What was that that process to actually do that globally? Um, we did. We had a really strong relationship. It's, it's actually Costco that we sell them the lion's share of our product to in the US. Mm. And that relationship came about on the back of um, some work that we'd done with Costco Australia. So um, right. Costco is, is a very sort of tight-knit community and mm-hmm. in terms of the freezer buyers. They all talk to each other. And our Australian buyer recommended our product back in 2019, I think it was. Wow, so it's the, like a, the world's best referral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we, she recommended it to Texas. They took a leap of faith with us and the product sold so incredibly well. We now sell to six or seven regions in Costco, which is really exciting and just such a proud moment for the whole team at Twisted because, you know, the produce, the Australian dairy, the way we make our product is really just first class. And we can see that in the way that it's really resonating with our US and um, China customers. So it's really exciting. And is the China customer, is is that from Costco as well? Costco as well. Yeah. Yeah. How did it feel to even just say those words for the first time? Oh, yes, our first store is in Texas. <laughs> oh, no. So, I mean, it looks so exciting. I love America. I love Americans. I love watching what the market is doing in the US. And I really believe our product resonates so well in that space. And mm. so I feel very comfortable, particularly doing business in America. And, but it's, you know, so proud, so proud. But it's, you know, mm. testament. It is honestly testament to the, a huge number of incredible Australian companies that are in our supply chain that we're able to even get product over there. Mm, wow. Is there a difference in what's being purchased as in what sells well off the shelves here in comparison to America in comparison to China? 
No, I think it's really similar, which is why I really like doing business in the US. I think it's we're very similar consumers in terms of that better for you space. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think our formulations are probably world class, which is why, I mean, I think probably one of the biggest differences between our frozen yogurt and the frozen yogurt that Americans are, tradi- are used to eating traditionally is that our frozen yogurt is actually made with yogurt, go figure. And which I think really that sort of authenticity in our product is one of the sort of things that really resonates with our customers um, yeah. when they're picking up a box of our frozen yogurt. But what I was meaning was, is there a difference in flavour? Like, is, is there oh, one right. of your yes. products? Sorry. Like, does one yes. of your products just go, wow, we sell them like crazy in America yes, and absolutely. in China, like yes. this one walks off the shelf? Like, is yes. there different taste buds? Yes, <laughs> there are. So this year in, in the US, we had an orange and cream yogurt, which I would never sell here. We would never sell that in Australia. It just isn't something that. Nobody looks for an orange-flavoured dessert down here, but we had an orange and cream cup and, you know, our US customers just raved about it because, you know, it sort of harks back to their childhood when they'd have an orange um, soda with their parents. There's a really traditional ice cream stick in the US called an orange creamsicle, which is like an orange and cream flavour. So we sort of, we were inspired by that um, to come up with the flavours. How can we... Mirror Absolutely. that, but make it the healthy version. Yeah, so we definitely would never sell orange down here, but it was something that went really well in the US. And what about China? Any different flavors? Uh, or taste they buds? really, they really love sweet. So like cookie dough, cookie flavors, and ah. uh, yeah, so it's less so sort of super healthy. Like watermelon mango is not really their thing. They're more into sort of a blueberry cookie flavor. So yeah, yeah. it's quite it, yeah. Culturally, I think there are really some big differences in terms of what flavors people are looking for. Yeah. Speaking of culture, I've just got this feeling that the culture inside your business is like a real family feel. (laughs) Yeah, it is. What what have you learned about the connection with leadership, the the ability to lead? Um, What have you noticed about yourself and the journey with growing your team? Most of my management team have worked for the business for sort of between eight to ten years. So. Mm -hmm. They've really grown as individuals and they have grown with the business as we've sort of continued to change and expand our, our horizons and our direction. And I think what I've learnt as a leader probably in the last, particularly in the last sort of 24 months, is that I need to really return authority and really start to develop a situation where, you know, I have full faith and full trust in the people mm. that are running the different departments within my business to go away and deliver to the standard that we expect. Basically, I need to butt out of things because what happens is I end up being a bottleneck. Um, <laughs> and if we're going to grow this yeah. business to the size, you know, that I envisage, mm. it's, I, I need to, it's a, it's a huge team effort. No, no one can do that by themselves. Yeah. And so everyone really needs to play in their um, positions uh, if yeah. we're going to be successful. What, what, what do you envisage? Share with us. Share with oh, us. Oh, I mean... <laughs> Because, you know, I just did a post last night on Instagram, just uh, dream big. And then it was about, you know, are you too scared to, to share your, your goals with people? You know, like it's, it's I'd love to hear what you envisage. Share it with us. I mean, our vision is to be the global leader in um, healthy, healthy treats. And so yeah. that um, today that's all freezer, all our products are in the freezer. Yeah. Uh, but in 20, early 2023, we're just about to launch our first ambient product. You know, I mean, I think my vision is 
yeah, to really take that to the world. As I said, I believe our formulations and our products are, are world-class, um, best-in-class, and we see that resonating in all the different markets that we sell our product. And so, you know, I think originally the vision was to be Australia's best leader in the health treat space, but um, I've recently upgraded that to global. I'm going, for, I'm going for global. <laughs> I love it. Global leader in healthy treats. I've just got tingles in my head. It's just, it's beautiful. Let's talk about the, the the recipe. How do you get it to like what is the process to get something from creation trial recipe to going, yeah, it is good enough to get out there? It's really just it is trial and error. And I think yeah. it's really knowing your customer and knowing the category and knowing when a product is good enough. I think that is probably one of our secret sort of sources at the moment is that we are, we can turn around new product development very quickly compared to mm-hmm. some of the larger multinationals that have sort of a, a 6 to 12 to 18 month sort of runway for new products. Yes. yes. Um, the reason that we can do that so quickly is because the head of our R&D is incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly passionate about this space. But I also think, you know, it's a the, the passion and the excitement from the team here at Twisted when we are doing new products development is just it's just so everyone's just so fired up and so exciting that it it really does sort of help circumvent those sort of long lead times and it really allows us to create incredible products I I love how you said the the turnaround time because you know we've got women here who are all masters of their own business and we can pivot turn change an idea we can we can maneuver our businesses so fast it's not like trying to turn a big ship or to take the trains off the track, like you're saying with the multinational. So it's really beautiful to know that just, you know, for all these ladies listening, when you have an idea, you've got the ability just to test it, to test, 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 test. Um, I, I do want to ask, I, I have to get this, this answer. How does it start? Is someone in a kitchen first in the factory? Is there a little kitchen going, okay, yeah, yeah, we yeah. try, uh, cookies and cream with the orange <laughs> together like yeah actually start take us there let us imagine well, we, now, we have a in our new facility we have an r&d lab but you know back in uh back in the day it was really done on a desk someone's desk yeah. that's the complete truth so we didn't have any running water our current gm michelle who's an incredible human used to run up and down the stairs because we had no running water so she'd be cleaning things and be walking around with buckets of water and so you know it's it's next level and we love the r&d space today but that is something that it still feels really shiny and new because we've only we've only been with it since january so you know prior to that it was really done off the side of a desk quite literally Wow. Might be a bit of a curveball, but what comes to mind that's been some of your biggest major decisions that you've made that has really helped you get to where you are or a decision that you made that really helped you get to where you were? If it wasn't for those decisions or that pivotal moment, you wouldn't be where you are today. Uh, The fact that we've continued to invest in the business. Mm. So we haven't, you know, there's no huge wages um, for myself, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's no flashy cars. There's no, you know, the, 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 every bit of money that we make in this business goes back into the business and we keep reinvesting. And so what that has allowed us to do is to continue to continually upgrade our manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that we have a great team of people here that are able to support the growth, you know, because, we, you know, you don't want your staff to break and be over overworked. Um, mm-hmm. it's, re- it's a really important balance to have that team mix right. 
um, but yet continually reinvesting in the business. I think that's Mm. probably one of the most important decisions that we made back when we closed the stores, that if we were going to go on this journey of having a manufacturing business and a manufacturing facility, that we were going to have to continually reinvest. Mm, Love that. As you know, we've got two different women on the show. We've got women that are in the startup phase and we've got women that they're, they're quite seasoned. They're either growing their business now into scale. Best piece of advice you think, look, if I could give them this, this would just really help them. Could be from experience or it could be if someone just told me this, I just wish it would have made life much easier. And then a piece of advice for a woman that is she's ready to scale. The piece of advice is probably the same for both. Mm. And that is understand your cash flow. And I got that advice annoyingly from my husband, actually, when I first started business. And I kind of (laughs) rolled my eyes and said, I know what cash flow is. Um, But, Mm. you know, I think understanding your cash flow, understanding how you're going to fund your growth, understanding what sort of working capital requirements you have through all stages of growth is I have learned, you know, from blood, sweat and tears the hard way that you you really need to be on top of that. And I spend, you know, I adore the marketing side of the business. I love R&D. That is absolutely my favourite part. But, you know, the majority of my time is spent on next funding, working capital, how are we going to do, where, you know, what's the cash flow looking like for the next three months? Mm. How are we going to export product to the US and sustain that, you know, period of time before we get paid by us, by our customers? And I think that sort of a piece of advice is applicable at all, all points of the journey. Beautiful. What's your life like outside of business? Who are you? What, what do you do with your life when you're not inside um, this factory? I've got three kids, three beautiful kids. Uh, my daughter, who's uh, 14, my son, who's 13, and then my younger son, who's nine. So they keep me busy and I am incredibly addicted to my Peloton bike. So I, oh, wow. that is kind of my... That's kind of my um, incubator for ideas, I guess, in the morning. Mm. I do that every single morning of my life. And, yeah, that's that's me, I guess. Yeah. And do you work with your husband still or that was just a piece of advice that he gave no. you? It's and- <laughs> just a piece of <laughs> advice that he gave me. Years ago. No. And no more advice from you. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Well, you this might, you may have already answered this question because the last question I love to wrap up the show is what is the one thing that you do on a very regular basis that gets you away from your desk and it makes you the happiest version of you and it needs to be something that's physical? What would yeah, it my, be? Yeah, my Peloton bike. <laughs> it's it's the, literally my most it. favourite thing in the world. And I have so many incredible ideas on that bike. My team are used to me sort of ringing on the morning call going, I have this idea this morning on the bike mm-hmm. and I think they'll just roll their eyes. Um, but that is absolutely, you know, it just takes me out of that sort of daily grind and, you know, just allow the ideas to sort of form in my mind. So it's absolutely, it's yeah. one of my favourite places to be. Well, I hands down support that, believe that. I, Ladies, they're probably sick of me saying it on the show. This is why we do it because my belief is when we are not at our desk and we are physically moving our body with some type of exercise, that's when we get our downloads. Absolutely. The exercising, dancing, swimming, gardening, whatever it is, but something physical because that's where we've got the space to be able to get creative. So thank you. Thank you for that awesome answer. And haven't had anyone actually have a Peloton bike on the show in the last four years. <laughs> So you are the first. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, we, we can't wait just to witness you, witness Twisted, witnessed it become the global leader in healthy treats. 
as I say it, I've got the tingles again. It's going to happen. It's you're already on that roadmap. So big congratulations. And um, let's let's interview in a couple of more years time. And let's let's go. Hey, okay, let's do a (laughs) rewind. This is what you've said. What's next? Yeah, where are you? Yeah. What's next after that? Love oh, I'd it. love to do that. I'd really love to do that. Yeah. Let's find out what's next. I, I can't wait. Uh, wishing you all the best. Thank you for sharing your journey today. And I know that you just shared so many golden nuggets that the women are going to love. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.